conspiracy. But it's really not the point. Like, the point is to try and really understand deeply, like, is this idea working? Is it the right course? Is it the right structure? Is it solving the right problems? That's not about a couple of pieces of content or some segment of your course. It's about connecting with your participants around, yeah, are you actually solving what matters for them? Hello, and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eaney, the founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hey there, Danny. In each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and creator who is doing something really interesting, either with the architecture of their course or the business model behind it, or both. Today, we welcome Pat Hensler to the show. Pat is the director of operations for Connect365 and the creator of the 20-Minute Marketing Agency. Pat, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So, Pat, you and I know each other quite well. We work very closely together. But for the benefit of our listeners who don't know you as well, and I think also Abe, who doesn't know you as well, um, who are you? What do you do? How did you come to be doing this? What's your story? And how did it come to the world of online courses? Yeah, so I co-founded and run a couple different pieces of software. Our main kind of flagship product is called Connect365. And It is an email automation tool that is built and designed to make your email messaging look more personal, like you had just sat down and manually written it to someone. But the secret is you're able to send those out at scale. And in terms of like how I got to that spot, I met my co-founder of that company actually working for a different business of his. That was a online lead generation and marketing agency. And we were working with a lot of clients, usually Clients would pay us anywhere from like five to $10,000 a month to run different LinkedIn and email campaigns for them. And what we found after a while was our people that were delivering this service for clients, their efficiency was getting tapped. They were only able to work with so many clients because they had to do all this manual work to provide daily content for their clients, manage all these email messaging sequences to have this really personal manual looking feel. And we knew there was a way we could probably designed something to take a lot of that heavy lifting off their shoulders. So that's actually when my co-founder Josh and I first started talking about, you know, hey, maybe we should design that for our team, which we ended up doing. So we started, we had a series of online courses, one called Linked University that um, was all about LinkedIn. We would just teach people how to use it. We used it really as a lead magnet in some ways for our agency, where we would teach a lot of our process And a certain number of people that would go through that course would essentially be like, hey, I'd rather pay someone to do this all for me. We had a variety of other ones back in the day. We had one called Webinarly, which was us kind of sharing our approach to webinars. We've always been really effective with webinars. So we had a number of different courses over the years that came kind of before our software. And then since we use courses pretty much in any sorts of our different programs, because we find it's just a really effective way to get information, train customers, both on using software products, but also on the strategy that is going to make the most effective with those products. So courses kind of have continued to be a big focus of what we do. And in particular, something that I work a lot on in our company as well. Did you ever have a concern that you're essentially teaching people to do the secret sauce that you deliver as a service that is highly priced? Was there ever a concern about cannibalizing the service component of the business? 
I'm sure there was conversation at some point where when we were first getting started, like, is this an issue? Is this something we should worry about? In reality, it's not really much of something that we saw come to fruition. It, you know, $5,000 to $10,000 a month for service, no matter what business you are, that commitment is a lot. And courses for us, it always kind of had two uses. One was there's a segment of our audience out there that's likely not in the spot now, nor is going to be in the next 12 months to afford our monthly agency services. But the other is people who are probably there, but they need some more information, education. They just need to get more kind of ingrained in our process and the way we think of things. And a low price course is just a much easier decision for them to join. And then, you know, kind of decide like, actually, I'd rather someone else do this. I'd rather turn it over to a professional, an expert in this. So in terms of uh, there being a conversation, probably at some point, there was some feedback from someone on the team that was a little concerned about that. But in actuality, really, we saw both sides of our business improve when we started using courses. So they kind of served two purposes, as you said. They were both a downsell and the funnel leading to the main offer. What did you do in the architecture of the course that would help people get a result, of course, and also you know, lead them to ascend into that service? Yeah. So back then, when we first started, we started where I think this is probably like eight years ago now, where a lot of people do with courses. We were like, oh, we'll put together a few videos and essentially do a screen share of someone on our team walking through how to do this item, that item, this other one. And what we found from that is, well, a few things. We learned a lot of things. One was certainly on length of videos, right? There's a difference between like training an employee on your team on how to do certain action items versus training customer or someone who's doing this as like part of their job. So we learned a lot there in terms of length of video, as well as individual feedback. We, at the time, it was very, you're kind of in there, there'd be an email sequence to let people know, here's kind of what you should be doing along the way. But it wasn't really driving results for a bigger swath of our audience. The people who are really go-getters who go in and they're the ones who are watching the videos and taking action, they were probably the ones who were going to succeed one way or the other. But we wanted to find a way to get to like the wider part, 70% maybe of the customer base who maybe need a little bit of extra coaching, prodding, one-on-one. How did you come to see that distinction among your participants? And then what have you done to try to address those different groups? Yeah, so I would say I tried to put our bigger focus on the ones who certainly that want to do it and need it to be more easily digestible. That's probably where we put our biggest focus and emphasis. Some of the things that we do now is that like we will have actions assigned to each lesson. We were seeing a lot of feedback or just from customer conversations, a lot of people who would watch a video or watch a training or be on a live workshop we were doing. And they would understand what we are teaching. Like it would make sense to them. They, they'd be on the same page. They could recite it back to me. But taking an action on what we were recommending was slower. So we really tried to redesign our courses to say, rather than what are we teaching in this lesson, what's the action associated with this? And kind of work backwards from there, which ended up leading to us kind of having shorter videos to begin with, but it was very, very tied to each of these going to have an action of some sort that you're taking without taking action, you know, good ideas. They're not worth as much as like actually getting in there and taking some sort of forward motion. So 
that's been our big shift, I would say, like in terms of just general course design, have the action we want them to take with this video first, and then let the video kind of serve getting them to that action. We've also, in many ways, felt like when we got started, had we were very much taking it from how we were maybe training one-on-one an employee and trying to do that, but teaching many people at once, and it just doesn't necessarily work the same way. And our videos would be very dense in terms of like steps to take to set something up or do something. We also made a shift in trying to use more of our written material and resources workbooks that do a lot of that like step-by-step. Like we, we kind of focus more big picture and then again, tie into the action in our videos because not many people are watching a training video. Like let's say it's a 10-minute training video. Let's say it's even a five-minute training video. They're not watching it, like hearing something, pausing, doing something, rewinding, making sure they did it right, going back to it. And we were just seeing a lot of, you know, confusion on step-by-step things, even in, you know, LinkedIn at the time where we're like, let's simplify this for our audience, put that in a much more easy to digest and skim and go back over things that might be multi-step and really shifted all that to being more so focused on written material or workbooks of some sort. And what results did you see from doing that? Just way more people taking action. A big part of our courses back then were very focused on building up your connection database on LinkedIn. And without that, without having prospects coming in, anything else you're putting in your sales messaging, your email outreach, what your post on LinkedIn didn't matter. So we would really kind of look at it as like, how many of our customers were getting to that step where they're starting to see this initial return getting new connections, new prospects in their pipeline and into their LinkedIn. And, you know, I would say I might not have the number exactly, but I want to say like the year before when we launched that first course, the amount of people that got to that first step was somewhere in like the 10 to 15% range. And again, that's probably the majority of those after a month or two were the go-getters. And we really wanted to focus on how to improve that. We ended up seeing that number get to like 65, 75% our next year. And at that point it was very small incremental changes, but it was focused on the action we want them to take, getting out their LinkedIn connection requests. Let's design our actions we're building to be step-by-step through there and just make it easier for them to see how to complete those actions where things have grown from there. But that's kind of where we got to, I think, year over year. And this is looking back five or six years ago right now. Makes sense. Anything else you would want to share that would be helpful for other course creators who are going through kind of a similar transition? You know, we still, if I look at our business, which is essentially it's a software business, I don't describe our company necessarily as like we sell courses. Well, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, software and courses, I mean, Abe, you've seen this as well. They're a real kind of peanut butter and jelly combination, both in terms of the experience for the customer and in terms of the business model. In terms of the experience for the customer, you give them the tools and the training to use the tools properly. And this kind of hybridized offer is a lot more powerful and transformative. In terms of the business model, it works kind of in both directions, right? You sell the course and then people are also using the software. So it substantially increases the lifetime value. But leading with courses first in your business is a really good way of financing the development of software, which otherwise can be cost prohibitive without, you know, really deep pockets or outside investors, most of which are, you know, not accessible to to most people. Yeah, completely. We know our audience in particular, 
is hungry for information. They're looking for information on marketing strategies, sales strategies, and us being able to offer them a course that helps them with that and include as a bonus to that course software that can help them automate a lot of the heavy lifting of it, I think is a really compelling offer. And especially for our our customers who are, again, entrepreneurs, small business owners, uh, in some cases, solopreneurs, you know, they are like many people out there, they are strapped for time and anything they can get to help them shortcut some of that knowledge and, and be able to take advantage of the tech and tools that are at their disposal, I think usually ends up being a really powerful thing for them. So that's that's a lot of, you know, the kind of peanut butter and jelly combination of courses or information with a software to help make that information more easy to apply to your business has been really big, powerful, really powerful for our business and, you know, is kind of core to our approach. So course creators could think about, are there software and tools already existing that they could add in some way that would complement their course and, and make it more effective and easy to easier to implement and get better results. And then on the flip side, you know, software creators could think about what is the education that is needed to either bring people to the software and understand its value and applicability and how to get results with it or to enhance what people are already doing with it. The point you made there that I think sticks out for me is if you're someone who is a service provider now and you're either creating or building a course, the big difference you end up seeing is as the service provider, you're guaranteed you're going to get the work done for them. When you become a course creator, you're selling a course, whether it's an introductory item or not, there's an added dimension to it, which is how can I make it easier for my customer going through this course to implement what I want them to implement or what I'm teaching them? Because when we first launched a course, we're like, well, people will get this done because they want this change. And you have to go beyond that and like say, how can I make this more accessible and easy for my audience to do this? And it's people aren't not doing it because they're bad people. They're doing it because they have a lot of competing interests and things in their business or life that they're working on. And it's on you as the, the course creator to make it clear why this is impactful and important for them and find ways to help them out on their journey to implementing whatever it is that you're teaching. Pat Hensler is the creator of the 20-Minute Marketing Agency and the Director of Operations at Connect365. To learn more about him and everything he's got to offer, head on over to connect365.io. That's connect365.io. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the best takeaways for you to apply to your course. Uh, lots of takeaways here. What jumped out to you? I think that the first theme that was interesting uh, was this idea of sort of starting with services or an agency and progressing to courses. I mean, it's become more common to talk about, oh, you should like build an audience, right? And then create courses that meet the needs of your audience. And, you know, easy to say, not so easy to do. And I think for a lot of people, in some ways, this approach that Pat described of they, you know, got a reasonable, but didn't require a massive number of clients who they were solving a problem for with their marketing agency. 
And then they were able to progress from there to, okay, there are a lot of people who are interested in those services, but maybe we're not ready for a five, ten, fifteen thousand dollar service. But they wanted to learn those techniques and apply them. And that was a great way to then progress to offering courses for people who weren't a fit for the agency. So it's kind of perhaps a more viable alternative to this idea of, you know, just build an audience first, you know, for a lot of people. Well, it it works on a couple of levels, right? It works on the, you know, getting to a place of creating really great courses because you will have worked with more people and validated the expertise and found the boundary conditions on where things work and where things don't work. So it better prepares you to develop a course. But also from a business model standpoint, when you're starting out, your reach, your audience are necessarily smaller because, you know, you haven't done everything you will do to grow it. And so if you want to create a viable income, and you have a small number of leads, then you might as well multiply that small number of leads by a high price for a service rather than by a low price for a course, since you know, you're, going to be, you're going to be constrained in terms of volume. Something that jumped out to me that I really appreciated was how low-tech the production of the courses began. Even though they were already a business that was doing well, they had a budget, they were established, they were like, no, let's just you know, have screen recordings, we'll explain it just like we're explaining it to new employees. Very low-tech, very low production value. And then iterating a lot from there and how those iterations took them from 10 to 15% course completion and results rate to 50 to 70%. Like that's a massive transformation from incremental iterations. I think that's a really important takeaway. It's not the big swings. It's the little tweaks that compound over time. What was interesting too is that as Pat described it, a lot of their focus in their iteration was not around making their courses more polished and professional looking products. It was around finding better ways to help their participants take action. And they seem to have a, a really clear focus on that that I think is missing in a lot of course design. You know, we know that the first version of, of any program is unlikely to get the results you're ultimately hoping for in terms of getting your participants both to apply the ideas, but also to take action, especially if the action is challenging in some way. But we don't necessarily see a lot of course creators then iterating and improving on that challenge, right? And so a lot of courses are kind of stuck at this plateau where, yes, a certain segment of students are getting really good results, you know, what Pat described as the go-getters. And unfortunately, in a way, that can become a, an issue, right? Because that is enough to sell a course, right? If you get those 30% of people who are highly motivated, they do well, they give you a bunch of nice testimonials and case studies, and then you can sell the next round of the course and you'll continue serving those go-getters well. But then you've got your other segment of people who are you know, never going to get beyond that plateau. So I really appreciate that Pat and his team were actually working on trying to get past that plateau of, hey, we see there's people who are not getting the results we're hoping for, we see there's actions around using LinkedIn that they're not taking. Let's try different things to get them to move forward. Yeah, a lot of people have kind of understood to some degree. I mean, I've been teaching about piloting for over a decade, and there are a lot of parallel ideas. People talk about beta testing courses and so forth. And a lot of people have sort of glommed onto that idea, but they treat it as kind of a step. So I'm doing my pilot. That's the first step. Okay, now it's good enough, and I'll make my full course, and then I'm done. And really, piloting is more of a philosophy. It's that every time you do something, you're doing it to validate your hypotheses, to learn about what is working and what is not. So the next time you can do it a little better. And it's a sad reality that there are a lot of places in the online courses world where 
you know, they, they might pilot at first and they'll iterate to a certain point, but then they get kind of frozen. The marketing keeps getting better every year because that's what drives the dollars in the short term. But, you know, in the long term, it's a real challenge for the business when the course at core doesn't work. It doesn't drive results for anyone but the go-getters. And I think statistically speaking, it's a lot less than 30% who would fall into that category. For sure. I think it was attracting a very motivated audience. And it's almost like we need to bring someone on that we can have a whole interview with about piloting at some point, because I agree. And there seem to be a lot of misconceptions about it. Like I continue to hear from people that, oh, I'm going to do a pilot of my course and planning this whole full course. And I'm going to like pilot test the first like two pieces of it. And at least they're thinking about piloting. So that's great. It's better than nothing. But it's really not the point. Like the point is to try and really understand deeply, like, is this idea working? Is it the right course? Is it the right structure? Is it solving the right problems? Um, And that's not about a couple of pieces of content or some segment of your course. It's about connecting with your participants around, yeah, are you actually solving what matters for them? Minimum viable is important for what you put into each step to validate your assumptions, not for the level of validation you ever are going to get. Yeah, there still seems to be a lot of confusion around that. But Pat, I guess, grasped that intuitively. And the iteration they were doing seemed to be really based on, hey, at each version of the course, we're really understanding these are the problems our students are still encountering. And how can we make that better, right? And it may not be what's obvious or what you see other people doing, right? It may not be if they're not having great results with your first round of videos, oh, we need more polished videos or we need more videos. In fact, it may be the opposite as they discovered, right? You actually need shorter videos and you need more workbooks and you need more live group calls to help people take action. I guess the final theme I noticed was around courses being more complementary, right, with other aspects of the business. Sometimes we maybe tend to get overly focused on building an education business or courses are the main thing that you do or that you offer. But in this example, courses came out of services and then became complementary with software. And we also talked about how that could run both ways, right? You may have courses that then lead to software or other really interesting business offerings, or you may have a business that's working in terms of offering services or software or other business models, but it's missing courses and you could greatly strengthen that business by moving into courses. I think the nature of the transition to more hybrid, a lot of that is is kind of a stepping away from the discrete structure and offer of a course and more of a blurring of the boundaries where, you know, it's really about engineering transformation. And that's done partially through training and didactic formats and videos and that kind of thing, and partially through a little bit of done for you to make certain parts easier and partially by providing the tools. And it's really about just what is the overall package that will most cost effectively deliver that transformation in a way that is scalable and substantive and really make transformation that lasts. It's very exciting that this is where things are finally going because we're seeing, as we kind of took from the conversation with Pat, not just higher course completion rates, but a much richer integrated offer set that actually helps people get the results that they're after. Yeah, I like it. All right, uh, that's all I got. You want to do the readout? Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of Riziku, here with Danny Eaney, founder and CEO of Miracy. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Just Between Coaches and Making It. 
This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Govertson assembled the episode. Danny Eni is our executive producer. Post-production by Post Office Sound. Another big thanks to Pat for coming onto the show. Remember, you can learn more about him over at connect365.io. That's connect365.io. And to make sure you don't miss the excellent episodes coming up on Course Lab, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you enjoyed the show, please go ahead and leave us a star review. It really does make a difference. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Awesome. Thank you. Danny, you were going to say something uh, right before? No, not important. Okay. The point was subsumed. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) No, no, that was great. That was great. Better if it's coming from you. Exactly. (laughs) All right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind-the-scenes kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head-on. I'm Melinda Cohen, and your host for this show, I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great frame. That's a a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just, you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. So while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah. Because... We're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness, fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively. And we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. 
And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. Why are you stopping the recording? This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.